0: Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John.
1: I'm Robin. And I'm Savannah.
0: Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis, backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together.
1: We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing, but we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding, and since you're here, We hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. It's just us this week.
0: Yeah, because Savannah is out sick. Yeah. Our thoughts Our thoughts are with you. Savannah.
1: Yeah.
0: Although your influence is still in the, in the research. Yes.
1: Um, I had so, to make yeah, sure I had to make sure we had one of her hot takes cuz Well, yeah. F- you can't f- do a hot take section without Savannah Thoughts.
0: I know. She has good hot takes. She does. Um so yeah, we're back we're back to the OG crew. Uh right. Uh, for this week, um much to our detriment. So we're sorry, listeners, but it's it's just those those two voices that you've heard most frequently. It's a, it's a um, throwback episode. Yep. But that's one of the benefits to having three hosts now. We yep. can do this. You know, one of us gets sick. It's not somebody just doing a monologue for an hour <laughs> and desperately <laughs> yeah. trying to make it entertaining. Um, yeah. But Although she should be back with us next week. The yeah.
1: couple times that we have had to take off for illness, I'm pretty sure that the other person was – secretly a little bit grateful for the break
0: well, i mean like one uh, one time we are both sick <laughs> so yeah. it's like <laughs> um but yeah for true um for so tr- what are we talking about what are we talking about this week this
1: week we are oh. talking about all kinds of supreme scort. oh god all kinds supreme of s- sh- sh- you got me all <laughs> tongue-tied with the SCOTUS shit we, this week we are talking about a variety of Supreme Court topics, mostly centered around the confirmation hearings for the Honorable Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. Um, we, at the time that we are recording this, we have just come through the hearings, and we have a lot of things to talk about, and a lot of questions came up, a lot of thoughts came up during the process of watching those confirmation hearings, and so we decided we would see how many of them we could address in one podcast episode. Spoilers, like two.
0: Like two. Like two. Yeah, so I think uh, this will be coming out on April f- f- 4th? Right. So today, actually, the day you're listening, you are listening to it, um, the Judiciary Committee will be voting on whether or not to send her forward to be voted on for confirmation yes uh, i think unless it gets delayed and i don't think it will be since um um oh the name escapes me right now and i can't believe it uh republican was it lisa murkowski said she would go ahead and vote for uh katanji brown jackson hold on one second i might be wrong (laughs) oh not murkowski susan collins oh yeah all right Uh, then yes she has already said that uh, she is going to go ahead and, and give uh, Judge Jackson the the go ahead, and um, and most likely will be joined by uh, I would say probably probably Colin or sorry probably Markowski and yeah. uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if Romney also yeah uh, joined uh, in the affirmative uh, since Romney seems to be. Uh, one of the the few who is not voting based strictly on party identity yeah. and um, towing the party line, much to his detriment, frankly, uh, when yeah. it comes to national politics. But uh, at least in my in my opinion, much to his uh, ooh, what's the opposite of detriment? Honor, much to his benefit. Uh, benefit. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good gosh, uh, for for maintaining, I think a, a an actual code of ethics and morality i don't always yeah. agree with uh, with with Mitt romney but um i don't think i can i don't think you'll ever catch me saying that he is a hypocrite <laughs> at no. least not not in matters like this uh, no
1: he does a very good job of um, staying true to what he has said he believes the entire time which um that's all we can really ask right like yeah
0: that's all unlike we can ask. uh oh what's his face pick one man my brain is like fried right now shocker um lindsey graham who came oh out today and was just like uh judge jackson is uh you know the idol of the or, or the the vote of the radical left or something like oh that. jesus like, come on dude
1: i cannot. voted for her. The, I
0: voted for her.
1: it's not a hot take so i'm not i'm not spoiling anything but i cannot with lindsey graham I cannot.
0: Yeah. I, and somehow his spine done did crawl out of him and yeah. never did find its way back.
1: Uh, but also, if any listeners are Gravity Falls fans, I will point out to you that Lindsey Graham is essentially Little Gideon, and you will never not be able to see that again.
0: It's true. It's true. Every time he speaks, that that flashes in my head. It's Little Gideon. Every single um, time. So... Uh, what is your what is your hot take?
1: Yeah hot take? so one of the things that I thought might be fun to, as we're discussing this is for each of us to come to the table with a hot take um, pandering to the social media crowd here basically something that we uh, want to say that could potentially be controversial probably is not to be honest but and that we can we can talk about them we can chat about them So my hot take my. Slightly controversial opinion about the Supreme Court Justice confirmation hearings is that I don't think I believe that they should be broadcast to the public anymore, especially in the format that they are. Okay, so here's my thought. We have had contentious uh, confirmation hearings since 1959 in the wake of Brown versus Board of Education and all of the efforts to desegregate we started to see these hearings become more and more polarized. But even still, even once those hearings became contentious, it was always um, a pretty easy move to move justices through the confirmation process. Most justices, actually many justices, uh, were voted on with voice votes, right? They didn't even record the confirmation votes because there was not enough opposition to move past a voice vote. And then we had our first broadcast hearing with Sandra Day O'Connor in 1981. And even still, even after that, we saw, again, they were continuing to be contentious, so much so that uh, Elena Kagan, who would one day endure a hearing like this herself, wrote in 1995 of the spectacle that confirmation hearings had become and basically uh, the things that we complain about today, that senators took that opportunity to make speeches and not to ask questions of the justices. Uh, But for the most part, those trends in confirmation hearings, they, they hadn't changed. They had not changed since the 1950s approvals uh when, when justices got approved by the senate judiciary committee it was by a significant margin and then if there were rejections it was by a much closer margin right it was a lot harder to get rejected than it was to get confirmed or at least moved through to the senate vote uh, until until we started to see until. this shift into hyper-partisanship these yeah. hyper-partisan politics started to take the main stage in about 2010 And if you look at the confirmation votes, you'll start to see that they align much more closely with party affiliation after that point. And we see uh, in political polling, we see the median Democrat and the median Republican in the general population move farther and farther apart. And so now we're at this point where the grandstanding is almost unbearable. It was so hard to watch the confirmation hearings because that's not what I was watching I was watching senators give speeches just like they did during Justice Coney Barrett's uh, confirmation hearings, just like they did during Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings, just like they did during Merrick Garland's confirmation hearings, right? Like, it's just all speeches. It's a show. It's a circus. And we can't, as the public, get any good feeling for what these justices have to say, what these judges bring to the table, what their experience says, because – I have to listen to Lindsey Graham give a 20-minute speech and then interrupt Judge Jackson every time she tries to answer the question that he's kind of implying. Yeah. We have to it go was, to that those. Was, it was a, I That <laughs> was
0: infuriating, actually. Uh, like, yeah. anytime she would open her mouth, literally, any time she would open her mouth, it was either Lindsey Graham or Ted Cruz yeah. or Josh Hawley, like, just talking through her.
1: Yes, like, she just, was not even there.
0: Yeah. And
1: heaven yeah. forbid she
0: said something that, like, literally directly contradicted what they said because right. what they said was incorrect. Right. Because then they would just imply that she wasn't being truthful about it and just continue plowing on. It's just, right.
1: Like, I find I it th- hard
0: to believe that you didn't know this. I feel like at
1: one point I saw Lindsey Graham actually do this <laughs> and then just kept talking. Like, we as the public have to rely on the written answers to the questions that the senators submit in order to get any idea of what the candidates have to say about anything, right? And not to mention the fact that since the 1950s, since things got really contentious, we have this trend of nominees who are basically refusing to say anything about their position on anything because um, on the surface, right, it could come up. In a decision that they have to make, but mostly they have seen past justices, um, nominee Bork comes to mind, absolutely assassinate himself by answering things with his genuine perspective. And so we're not. The
0: swan dress that he was wearing also didn't go over very well.
1: Dude, that was a train wreck. But he scared a lot of people. Watching that happen scared a lot of people. So we don't get forthcoming answers from the nominees, and we don't get actual questions from the Senators. And so what is the purpose then of having a camera in the room if it is not to provide a platform for these senators to to pontificate? Um, Republican yeah. Senator Ben Sass actually said in an interview after the fact that he um, that he, doesn't necessarily believe that cameras should be allowed in congressional hearings. It wasn't after this. I'm sorry. It was in a different context. But he doesn't believe that cameras should be allowed in Supreme Court case hearings. And he said, a huge part of this institution, uh, referring to government and Congress, doesn't work well is because we have cameras everywhere. Cameras change human behavior. We know this. There's a whole bunch of things humans can do if they're not immediately mindful of some distant camera audience that they might be trying to create a soundbite for. He said, I think we should recognize that the jackassery we often see around here is partly because of people mugging for their short-term camera opportunities. And it is definitely a second and third and fourth order effect that the court should think through before it has advocates in there who are not only trying to persuade you nine justices, but also trying to get on cable that night or create a viral video. That's how I feel about literally all of politics right now. Yeah. Like what would happen if we shut the cameras out and we went back to to good old fashioned journalistic reporting on what the hell happened in the room that day or transcripts from the court reporter that the vast majority of the American public is not going to take the time to read, therefore not going to be influenced by the speeches that these politicians give. Yeah. Like I have to wonder how much more effective and less wasteful of time that all of politics, but these hearings specifically would be if nobody got to hear all that shit.
0: Yeah, no. And I agree. That's actually, so Sass was commenting on the, the current, perennial really debate about whether or not federal uh, court hearings should be uh, televised. I think um, if I remember correctly, not necessarily the judicial hearings, but like literally the cases themselves, I might be wrong on this, but yeah, there is a debate about whether or not federal uh, court trials, federal trials, there we go, should be broadcast. And as everybody um, who has, who well, who has followed federal cases is aware um, at any federal level, uh, cameras are not allowed in the court. It's just you; they don't bring federal they don't bring cameras into federal courts. It's only uh, state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's been some exception to that. I think, but it's very 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 rare. Yeah. Um, and there is uh this ongoing push to have Supreme Court trials especially broadcast and i think that would do the that is the the exact thing he's talking about yeah that that sass is talking about is is um it would it would change it would change how these cases are argued it would change how they are questioned by the justices themselves Um, and it would be it'd be an absolute circus and i i i kind of agree that uh that these things shouldn't be broadcast. Um, that said, Savannah disagrees with you.
1: She does. her Her response was that she feels like it is probably necessary for transparency, which yeah. I don't disagree that we need transparency. Right? We need some level of that, but I I'm not sure that cameras in the in the courtroom, the way that we have them currently, are the way to go about that. Well.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure either. I totally understand what she's trying to say. Um, and that like having cameras there will allow you to access, you know, what was actually being said, the direct quotes. You can get the information straight from, from the hose, as it were. Um, the problem, though, I think comes back to what, Sa- what, what Sass was saying um, in that e- even if there's a camera there, you're not going to get transparency. You're going to get performance. Right and it's, it's always going to be performative. So I still, but I, 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 I also agree with her that I don't think taking the camera out of the equation is the right thing to do either um, because the camera isn't really the problem. It's how people behave to the camera. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of bounce this idea back and forth a little bit, you know, the idea that that making making rules that senators, for example, in in, in these confirmation hearings, they can only ask questions.
1: Right. That was the summary of Savannah's take on this: is that she thinks that senators should not be allowed to give speeches during confirmation hearings; only ask questions.
0: Yeah, which I think I I don't know why they give why they have opening statements to begin with. Right. It's weird to me that the senators have opening statements um, because they're not there to be interviewed. They're not there to be confirmed for anything. They literally it's a zero risk endeavor for them. Right. Beyond maybe some political wonks being pissed off that they didn't ask a question or that they only asked these questions or whatever. Um, They're not going to lose constituents over their. Right. Their their interview of a justice. Who they kept calling the witness by the way I know. which is something that really stuck in my craw. I-
1: is that like is that standard? I I have not thought to pay attention to that terminology before. It just caught my attention this time and so I'm I'm intrigued to know as like whether that's standard. I don't know. I don't recall.
0: And, and mind you, I didn't pay as close attention to the Amy Coney Barrett hearings because I knew that there it didn't matter if I watched or not. She was getting on the court. And right. Fa- frankly, I was so pissed off about the whole thing that I decided not <laughs> to deal with that. Um, that is a story for another time, dear listener. <laughs> um, but I don't recall them calling her the witness. I don't. I don't. And I like was, Kavanaugh was like excoriated in yes. his.
1: For, I think,
0: many justifiable reasons.
1: Yeah, um, I, I feel I feel like in that sort of a situation, um, a very intense examination of the circumstances is warranted.
0: Yeah, but I don't think they called him oh the witness either. I don't
1: know. I'll have to go back and look at transcripts.
0: So, yeah, somebody, you know, if you know that off the top of your head, let us know. Right. <laughs> um, We'll try to look into that. But yeah, it was just it was it seemed particularly demeaning to me Mm -hmm. when they said it. It kind of felt like they were uh, minimalizing, and I think this was not a party-specific word that was used. No, Um, but it really felt like they were like minimizing who she was by like calling her a witness. I just I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I know. In the context of the whole situation, it just seemed weird. Neither it felt really here nor there, but. I think having – the problem is the senators make the rules for themselves. Yeah. And so even if they did enforce or, or enact a rule that you're only allowed to ask questions or something like that, um, who's going to who's gonna gavel them down when they start making statements? Like right. nobody. Well, They'll and, say, oh, it's just a connecting word or, or right. a connecting phrase or something like that. Well, and I think you wasn't know, it and, Lindsey
1: Graham that at one point asked – Uh, Judge Jackson, how she would feel if somebody, like, called into question her religious beliefs. Like, basically...
0: He started off the whole thing by saying, nobody's going to attack your religion. Nobody's going to make you feel bad about it here. We're not going to sink to that level. And then, like, the first set of questions he asked her was, like, would you consider yourself a religious person? Right. On a scale of 1 to 10, how religious are you? Yeah.
1: Like... I mean, you can there are a lot of things that you can do with questions uh, that are very pointed and basically yeah, asking her ask how would like she feel if people treated her like uh, like the committee treated Amy Coney Barrett. Um, like that's not her place to answer. Right. Like that does yeah, not constructive. Like but it's still a question and it would pass that litmus test.
0: It would. But you wouldn't it wouldn't be bounded by 20 minutes of just like no. peacocking when she can't respond. Right. It and makes that, me wonder that's if that's
1: part. a holdover from, um, I think it was like before the early 1930s when no nominee ever bothered to show up to their confirmation hearing. Like the senators literally just had conversations and decided what they were going to do. There was one justice that was nominated and confirmed in the same day. Granted, that Sounds was a right. much simpler time in American politics.
0: Sounds but about right. Sounds
1: about right. It makes me wonder if, like, it's a holdover from a time when they didn't have a nominee to talk to. They just talked to each other. I don't know.
0: Perhaps. But I do agree with the overall idea that there needs to be some reform with how these things go down. Like, if if you want to have an investigation of the judge, then have an investigation of the judge. But don't do it on camera. Like, make it an actual investigation. Go analyze her, uh, her, her record on the sentences that she hands down if that's what you're worried about um compare what she did in college to to what who she is now like you know do it actually do it because nobody's going to get to the bottom of whether or not uh, a nominee raped a girl in in high school or college right at their at their nomination hearing it's not not gonna gonna happen it's not gonna happen um so if you if you're genuinely concerned about that, have a real investigation. Yeah. That said, I'm not sure certain that those questions didn't serve a purpose, but it doesn't matter in the end because Kavanaugh still got nominated or still got confirmed. He's on the Supreme Court. There's literally nothing that anybody can do about it because impeaching a Supreme Court justice much like impeaching a president requires a two-thirds majority of the Senate, and it's just not going to happen. No, unless one party or the other gets a supermajority, in which case, God help us. I think we're. It doesn't matter who gets it.
1: Yeah, we're all we're in trouble in for
0: a world. Of, we're, yeah, we're we're in for a world of hurt. Um, right now, it. Yes, I, I, I do think that would be bad. So, I'll I'll, I'll take my hot take. Yeah, really Yeah, quick. yeah. And I don't know if it's so much of a hot take, uh, so much just a general uh, musing of it. But uh, my hot take ish is that for all of the 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 blustering that we saw, um, the this nomination hearing was a uh, microcosm of the midterms to come. Mm. Like if you want to know Solid how the midterms are going to go, how they're going to go, watch the those three days of hearings mm-hmm. because the Republicans laid out their entire playbook. Yeah, and the Democrats they do what Democrats do, and they responded to it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, so, <laughs> right.
0: Um, but y- y- you're going to see that the the Republican candidates for this november are going to campaign on things like protecting our children about critical race theory and they're not going to campaign on critical race theory they're going to campaign on the thing that they call critical race theory which isn't critical race theory which we've talked about in like a couple episodes on critical race theory right
1: so you know like (laughs) actual historical education about the history Um, of civil rights in america but whatever
0: yeah and that's like a uh, that's a common tactic. Just as a sidebar, is oftentimes a politician will label something uh, incorrectly, but associate it with you know whatever they want to associate it with to make a point, right? Mm-hmm. To to score political points. So, um, at its worst, it looks like calling uh, Obama a terrorist right. because his middle name is is was Hussein, right? You know, um, but also it takes. Takes the form of like defining critical race theory incorrectly, and I have to assume at this point knowingly defining, defining yeah. it incorrectly, There's no using way it's it incorrectly not to make a point, mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: or, or or to score political points. Uh, it's 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 all lying, by the way. But anyway, so you're we're, these hearings were. Like I said, the roadmap for the uh, 2022 midterms, and what I noticed about it is that much, much like most of the mentality over the past four years, the entirety of the Republican playbook was projecting onto Democrats. So mm-hmm. they, were, they were defining Democrats. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that Democrats don't do this. I'm saying that this is very clearly the play that's happening right. this year um, from, from that side of the aisle. So, for example, what do I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, um, we saw it. Let's say it's when I started noticing it most was uh, with Trump saying things like um, "butter emails," right? Hillary was using an illegal server. All of these things, and then we come to find out that the the Trump administration very frequently mishandled uh, you know government information, government systems. Like this is not a personal opinion. These are findings. These are rulings that have <laughs> happened. They used uh, private phones, personal cell phones, that sort of thing. Uh, they took 13 boxes of classified documents to Mar-a-Lago after they left the White House. That yeah. is very not good. That's very legal, actually, dare I say. Bad, um, bad news. And I do dare say because that is my my area of expertise. That is illegal. Um, so, But that whole time, they're always pointing at other people saying, well, they're doing this. They're doing this we saw it with the election with oh the Democrats are stealing the election they're committing voting fraud and what we have seen are high-level Republicans committing voter fraud uh, like Trump's former chief of staff Mark Meadows is now under investigation for voter fraud right like right. and they you and part of that is because if, if you say well my enemy is doing this thing then I will also do this thing right it's justifying your own behavior right. Um, the point driving this home, wrapping this point up point three, because I was raised in a Southern Baptist church and everything's made in three points. Yes. Um, the third point being, uh, the, the, the songbook of the, of the Republican party lately has been, Not just lately, has been that uh, Democrats are are focused on these culture wars. Democrats are always Mm -hmm. trying to drive culture wars, and they're always trying to drive us apart based on identity and 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 cultural differences, right? Mm -hmm. And we should we should ignore our differences, and we should, you know, not see color because we're all Americans. That sort of thing, which sounds good, Um, we've talked about in many ways why it's not good, but then this whole time, their whole campaign so far this year has been about a culture war. Right. Right. Critical race theory, uh, racist baby, uh, transgender identity. Oh, God, yes. Um, and and uh, crime, soft on crime, right? Yeah. And, and criminal behavior and criminality. All of these things, they're just various facets of of the culture war and they're driving it and they're driving it so hard right now. And one of the reasons they're driving it so hard right now is because it's an effective tactic. Like right. People eat up culture wars. That's why it's constantly being dredged up. Um, and it, even if politicians weren't doing it, don't make no mistake, like we'd be doing it to each other. We do do right. it to each other. Um, so that that is what stood out to me about these hearings. It was is just like... It's, it was just a big flashing preview of the next several months until yeah. we get past the midterms. And then we'll just roll right into the 2024 because campaign season starts 2023 oh, for the 2024. 2024 election.
1: Yeah. I'm so tired of the election. It hasn't even started yet. Um, no. And that's a really good point because one of the, the strongest narratives that I think um, Republicans are putting forward right now is that the left is coming for your children. Right. They're teaching your kids to be ashamed of themselves. They're teaching your kids that uh, that biological gender doesn't exist or biological sex doesn't exist. They're teaching your kids that uh, that they that they should see color, that they should recognize and be sad for all of the things that have happened. And then uh, the other strong driving narrative in these in this confirmation hearing was that they are soft on crimes against children. Uh, yeah.
0: And we really saw that with, with all the questions that they asked Judge Jackson uh, with her history relating to child sexual um, uh, abuse imagery offenders. Yes. Um, so, okay. So we're going to get into this. Yeah. This is probably we do one talk of about the that.
1: Most,
0: most realist uh, uh, content warnings <laughs> that mm-hmm. I think we've given. We know this is a really sensitive topic. We're going to treat it with a a, a light touch. (laughs) We're going to stay basically as far up above this as we can. thousand foot view talking specifically about how the topic was handled during Judge Jackson's confirmation hearings. Um, We're not going to get into much detail about what the federal laws are or the different kinds of victims or offenders or where someone might draw the line between one or the other. Um, I might talk about how... Sentencing works just uh, for determining the crime because I think it's very relevant. But I'll, again, try to keep that very high level. Um, Our only goal in this section is to assess whether or not the accusations of conservative senators that she is soft, quote unquote, on these offenders um, actually has any basis in fact.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we even I even went as far as to, like, reduce the terminology as much as possible uh, because... It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to say. I don't think anybody wants to say it or hear it. Um, but we we definitely don't go into any details. So this is a, definitely a content warning. But so if that bothers you, feel free to skip on ahead. And like we usually do, we'll let you know uh, where you can pick back up. Uh, this will be a good majority of the rest of the episode. But we'll we'll give you those markers. OK, so there is... One quote from Missouri Senator Josh Hawley that really captures the essence of the accusations that Judge Judge Jackson is soft on child pornography. Hawley took to Twitter, Twitter, everyone's favorite, to say, Judge Jackson has a pattern of letting child porn offenders off the hook for their appalling crimes, both as a judge and as a policymaker. She's been advocating for it since law school. This goes beyond soft on crime. I'm concerned that this is a record that endangers our children, which I just have to throw in here really quick, something that I learned but didn't write into the episode, that Holly actually voted to confirm, uh, I believe it was two, maybe three, other federal judges. They were not Supreme Court justices, but federal judges who had consistent sentencing records with Judge Jackson. He claims that he did not know at the time he did not even know to check that, but if he had, he would have reconsidered, and they were not mm. Supreme Court nominees. That was his um, his defense there.
0: Oh, so he does his due, due diligence, clearly, but only when it's a Supreme Court nominee.
1: Right, and I think the difference between Judge Jackson and uh, those other federal court judges were was that they were nominated by um, conservative politicians. <laughs> oh, what? shocker i know um
0: that's holly for you serving the missourian people while living in virginia
1: i wish i wish that i could say that that was not representative of his constituency but um it kind of is well his constituency
0: at least lives in missouri (laughs) (laughs) that's true unlike him i can't stress this enough it pisses me off as a missourian who lives in virginia okay (laughs) it pisses me off
1: that's fair that's fair uh, but his sentiment was shared by many other senators on the committee as the confirmation hearing progressed. Martha Blackburn, another one of my favorites, said, you also have a consistent pattern of giving child porn offenders lighter sentences. On average, you have sentenced child porn defendants to over five years below the minimum sentence recommended by the sentencing guidelines. And you have stated publicly that it is a mistake to assume that child pornography offenders are pedophiles. Words, so many. Mm. Mm.
0: Okay, listen. All right, here's a hot take. Though Judge Jackson is right on that. It, yes, and yes, it's and we right. do talk about because that the...
1: a little bit later.
0: <sighs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get there. Mm. Mm. But okay, Martha, anyway, we'll Martha, you
1: got it wrong this time, Martha, or right?
0: So, 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 let's get there. So, okay. is there any? Are there? It's, it, bleh, 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 bleh. Is there any truth to the accusations leveled by these senators? That's what we're going to get into the discussion about now the figure the best way to do this is to look at them sort of by group one group at a time. So we've got Senator Hawley and Senator Blackburn and literally every other conservative Senator on the committee committee. Uh, (laughs) how many syllables does committee have in it tonight? It has a lot. Um, it has as many as I want to put in it. Uh, literally every other conservative Senator on the committee, um, Called out Judge Jackson's history of imposing sentences lighter than the federal guideline recommendation.
1: Okay, so really quick before we get started, why don't we take that opportunity that we were talking about earlier to discuss those guidelines? What are the guidelines that we're talking about? Is there a chart or a table that we can use to understand what kinds of variances we are seeing? Yes! Can I look yes, at a picture? It's
0: <laughs> clearly defined. <laughs> Uh, Yes, in the Federal Sentencing of Child Pornography Report, there's a whole report about this. Yes, Um, We're citing from the U.S. Sentencing Commission, who put out that report, there's a really handy chart that outlines the basic recommendations for offenders charged with possession or receipt and distribution of the material. Those are different things, right? Uh, Possession, I have it. Receipt, I received it. Distribution, I gave it to other people. So those are the various ways you can be charged for this, right? They are set um, with minimums and maximums based on whether or not the offender has a similar prior conviction, and they range from zero, goose egg, to 40 years. But then also, no, no, um, there's, the chart's not super handy because within those windows, are a variety of factors and guidelines that influence the severity of the sentence an offender receives. There are 13 different levels of severity, and a sentence can be calculated by adding levels, uh, for example, the use of a computer in the course of the crime, Um, but the levels can also be reduced if, for example, the offender had no intention to distribute the material, right? Intention... Is very important when it comes to sentencing. If you commit a crime but did not mean to, that is handled differently by mm-hmm. the court. They say ignorance is no excuse from the law, but like it kind of is in some ways. <laughs> like right. um and but the the, the the easiest example of that is the difference between manslaughter and murder. Manslaughter is you accidentally killed somebody, in its simplest definition murder is you intentionally killed somebody. They have very differencing sentence different sentencing guidelines. That doesn't mean that your manslaughter charge can't land you with serious jail time. It's just, it's a different set of guidelines. Um, So while all of this makes simple sense to somebody like Judge Jackson, who is very familiar with how sentencing works and understands that there are tiers and there are ways to aggravate charges or to uh, negate them, I forget what the actual word is, it mitigate, mitigate charges. Um, it's not as easy for, for you and even myself with a degree in criminal justice um, to make sense of the guidelines because it's just not our profession. Profession, man. I had one cider tonight and that was like an hour ago and I'm just gone apparently. woo. Um, moreover, it makes it really easy for folks like Senator Hawley to mislead us by acting as though the guidelines are easy to navigate. Right. That there is a very clear cut if A, then B. Right. And there's not.
1: So between the two of them, between Hawley and Blackburn, they highlighted nine cases during the hearings as evidence of this trend Uh, But they did fail to mention that in five of those cases, the prosecutors were seeking shorter than the recommended minimum sentence. In a blog post analyzing this topic, Douglas Berman, who is a law professor at Ohio State University, pointed out that in these cases, even the prosecution concluded mitigating factors meant that the guidelines were not a proper benchmark range. And our research tells us that this is actually not out of the ordinary for judges when they're dealing with non-production offenders, offenders who did not produce or create the imagery um, that they are being charged with. In fiscal year 2019, only 30% of non-production offenders received a sentence within the federal guideline range. 59% received a sentence below the guideline range And this reflects a steady increase in the percentage of sentences that are imposed below the applicable guideline range, below the boxes that you see in that chart. So when we look at Judge Jackson's record in the context of other federal cases using the same guidelines, it lines up. But that also then begs the question, why are so many judges opting for sentences outside of this sentencing framework?
0: Well, that actually leads into the next point of concern that the senators raised during the hearings. That, as a member of the United States Sentencing Commission, Judge Jackson advocated for drastic change in how the law treats sex offenders by eliminating the existing mandatory minimum sentences for child porn. In his analysis, Berman noted that the trend we're seeing in sentencing these cases is a reflection that the sentencing guidelines. Uh, as written are widely recognized as dysfunctional and unduly severe and that federal judges nationwide rarely follow them sentencing guidelines for these cases has been a topic of conversations in the judicial uh, committee where the flocks of judges get together in their robes and they sit around like giant crows i don't know that's the image i get um for years 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 judges have been arguing about this, right? The Sentencing Commission reported to Congress in 2012 that existing guidelines fail to differentiate among offenders in terms of their culpability and result in penalty ranges that are too severe for some offenders and too lenient for other offenders. So for example, there is no mandatory minimum sentence for possession of child pornography material, but there is a mandatory minimum sentence of five years for receipt or transmission of the material. The commission recommended that Congress align the penalties for possession and receipt and unanimously recommended a mandatory sentence of less than five years for both crimes.
1: Right. Again, we are not here to debate whether or not the sentencing guidelines are right. We're just telling you what they are and what a bipartisan commission of seven experienced judges think that they should be based on their interactions with these cases during the course of their careers. And yeah, we did say bipartisan. (laughs) Three Republican-appointed judges out of that seven served on the commission with Judge Jackson when the recommendations were released. One of those judges, Judge William H. Pryor Jr. of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, told the New York Times that the panel's recommendations were almost uniformly supported by its members. He said, we worked by consensus, and that is the tradition of the Sentencing Commission. Virtually all of our votes were unanimous and data-driven.
0: And this is where I want to talk about something when it comes to senten- sentencing child pornography um, that's a, that is very specific, but also I think illustrates why the committee thinks that these laws were are outdated in part. Um, so a lot of the guidelines from minimums and maximums for for child pornography were created before the era of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and importantly, although it seems weird, um, before the era of uh, high frame rate film or at least easily accessible high frame rate film. So what does that have to do with anything well for possession for example, um, a lot of the sentencing guidelines revolve around how much you possess how many images you possess and images uh, the the buckets for the images are are like hundreds to thousands right it's not it's not based on the size of the data like gigabytes it's based on distinct discrete images mm-hmm which is important. So pop quiz: Which is worse, having one second of, uh, of of child video, right, or having twenty images, twenty separate images? Which is worse?
1: Worse than like uh, for sentencing purposes? For sentencing, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with twenty images.
0: Wrong. One second is worse. Interesting. Generally speaking. And the reason being because bare minimum one second of film, of film, right, even though it's digital, has 27 frames in it. And each frame counts as a unique image.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Right? So if you have something that's shot at 60 frames per second, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm and you have a one-second clip shot at 60 frames per second, you have 60 distinct images. Damn. Even though I think arguably 20 distinct images is still worse than one second at 60 frames per second. Right. I think anybody using their noggin would would agree with that. Right. And so that's part of the argument for these rules is that it doesn't make sense to count discrete images when we can subdivide a a piece of film... Mm um into these infinitesimally small changes right these 60 distinct frames per second or god forbid 120 frames per second even um and then secondly secondly um a lot of these were a lot of these laws were set up in a time when ease of access was different which mm-hmm. means that the effort that you had to put in to commit the crime was greater yeah it is Unfortunately and disgustingly easy to just go out and find these things yes. online right now. But because it is easy, that means that the the barrier to entry, the threshold, is much lower. Yeah, but You don't have to have the same sort of planning and consideration and thoughtfulness to get the same amount of, of material these days as you did when the laws were made.
1: Mm-hmm
0: so you end up with wildly it's seemingly wildly crazy sentences for things that are very very different in 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 real life like somebody who had you know we'll say a single 5 minute film and somebody who had literal gigabytes of photos right being treated the same way because on paper they have quote, the same amount of images. Right. So just, I wanted to illustrate that because it is something that I know an unfortunate amount about. And uh, this is, this is all that I was thinking when they were lighting her up for her sentencing departures. And it's like, no, this is the, this is, this is what the majority of the criminal justice like field is thinking now is like, the, the, the punishment has not changed to match the effort and the reality behind the crime. Right. Yes. Off my soapbox. No, I so, love it. What else did Senator Hawley and his buddies take issue with as far as Judge Jackson's background with child pornography cases?
1: Right. Uh, well, also in his Twitter thread. Uh, Josh called out some remarks that Judge Jackson had supposedly made during a commission hearing about less serious offenders, quote, less serious and offenders Mm -hmm. who collect this kind of material to, quote, find status in their participation in the community. These remarks he suggested showcased her troubling views about offenders themselves, implying that she was somehow categorizing offenders into not as bad groups.
0: So here's the deal. (laughs) Mr. Hawley is being deliberately misleading. Again, again, put another tally up on the board. He's really bad at this because it's really easy to tell when he's doing it. Just look for when he's talking. (laughs) Um, so surprise, surprise. Um, these quotations do come from a commission hearing during which the group was hearing from an expert witness or from expert witnesses sharing their perspectives on modern factors that should be included in any revised sentencing guidelines. Several of those experts had talked about distinguishing more and less serious offenders based on some very specific contexts. One in particular was referring to the extent to which technology use was involved and the time and resources devoted to the crime. This might sound familiar if you were listening five minutes ago. It was that same expert, Levine, who noted that in some cases, offenders will receive benefits or incentives for their participation, and that those who take advantage of those benefits could be considered more serious offenders. Judge Jackson was asking follow-up questions to these experts directly, reflecting the words the experts themselves used when she said, I wanted to talk About the means by which we can distinguish more or less serious offenders. I know all of you have touched on that. In her questions to the witnesses, Judge Jackson said, I was surprised at some testimony with respect to the motivations of offenders, and that there are people who get involved with this kind of activity who may not be pedophiles who may not be necessarily interested really in the child pornography, but have other motivations with respect to the use of the technology and the being in the group. And, you know, there are lots of reasons perhaps why people might engage in this, yeah. which is
1: common sense. Right. Um, especially when there's money involved, right? We, we know that people are willing to do a lot of things for money and drugs, and many other things. Um, Senator Blackburn honed in on this part of the quote as well, focusing on the fact that Judge Jackson mentioned that some testimony seemed to indicate that there are non-pedophiles who interact with this kind of material. One of the experts testifying, Dr. Jean Abel, clarified that it is rare for someone who collects such images to not look at them, but that anyone who collects for over six months meets the definition of a pedophile. During his other testimony, he also pointed out that there is an accepted psychiatric definition used to clinically diagnose pedophilia, which can feel pedantic in the context of the overall conversation. Right. Like it feels really hyper specific to say that you have to meet these very specific diagnostic criteria for it to count, um, because we all know that it's it like it's hideous across the board. Um, but, but that kind of a diagnosis is very highly relevant in legal settings. Like it, it is very incredibly relevant. Uh, for example, some of those criteria, the offender has to be over the age of 16 to be diagnosed with that as a condition. And there has to be a five-year difference between the victim and the perpetrator. To some folks, like the senators banging their drums at Judge Jackson, these distinctions don't matter. Uh, but for a judge who is considering what to do with the rest of a 17-year-old's life right that counts as a mitigating factor that that set of criteria has to be considered
0: right and okay <sighs> i don't want to get into like a, a super specific example right but there is there is clearly a difference between a a, a young couple, one of whom is like, let's say, 15, mm-hmm. and the other is 17, right? It happens. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. Right. But high school is a place where stuff happens, right? Right. And if, if in this world that we live in where this happens, and you're just going to have to deal with it, people who clutch their pearls every time they hear it, if- this couple is having a sexual relationship and the 15-year-old sends a racy picture to their 17-year-old partner, Right, they can both be hit with child pornography laws Mm -hmm. and and be punished for it. The 15-year-old, the minor, for production and distribution, Mm -hmm. and the uh, 17-year-old, for possession and receiving. Right. Nobody in their right mind, aside from people who are hardline, black and white, and, and make these arguments because they just like to yell at people, <laughs> nobody in their right mind would say that that is the same as a 50-year-old who has a collection of hundreds of videos and thousands of photos.
1: Correct. Yeah but when when you're dealing with these federal minimums right when you're dealing with this this box of of pluses and minuses and these 13 different levels things get really complicated really quickly
0: and that's and there are cases where 15 not 15 where uh, like 17 18 year olds 19 year olds with a 17 year old because because sometimes and at the state level, you yeah. have to be eighteen for certain things, right? Because there are state level laws as yep. well. Um, end up marked as a sex offender for the rest of their life. Yeah, go to jail for years because they were in a consenting relationship with somebody who is legally a minor. Yeah, and like, I—that <sighs> isn't justice
1: right it's not right it's not it's not and and we don't have time for me to soapbox on how that is an instrument of um of purity c- culture and control of people's bodies um but that is essentially what it is so for judges with years and years of experience to ask for these guidelines to be reconsidered and reassessed and realigned is not uh, is not being soft on crime and it is not in any way supporting the things that um, Senators Holly Blackburn, Graham, and literally anybody else with an R by their name, it felt like during this committee hearing, was trying to lead you to believe.
0: Right. And a point that I would like to make, again, as somebody who studied this, like went to school, has an advanced degree in criminal justice, we really need to think about Why being, quote unquote, soft on crime is automatically a bad thing, Mm -hmm. which I know sounds wild, Mm -hmm. right? But we don't have time to address it. But just think about it for a second or for a day or for whatever, however long you want to think about this, guys. But America has a ridiculously high recidivism rate. A recidivism rate is the rate at which somebody who has previously committed a crime completes their punishment and goes out to commit another crime. Mm -hmm. Right. So people go to jail, they get out of jail, they commit another crime. They end up in jail again. Right. We have a very high recidivism rate. We have a very high incarceration rate. We send a lot of people to jail, Mm -hmm. an ungodly amount of people, frankly, for a country of our size. And I mean, it's, it's bad. Topic for another time. Um, which to me to, to me, to my brain, means that what we are doing <laughs> isn't working. Yeah. We, we send people to jail all the time, and then people get out of jail, and then they commit another crime, and then they go back to jail. Why the hell are we sending them to jail? Right. Jail is about more than punishment. Like, at its root, jail is about removing the offender from society, paying their dues, and then... Allowing them to reintegrate with society as a as a member of the 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 societal group
1: mm-hmm.
0: and 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 be a, a fully functional human being again. And the things that we're doing are not enabling that. Right. right. So if we are looking at what's happening and saying this needs reform, this needs change, maybe it's not about sending them to jail, maybe it's about Uh, getting them medical assistance. Maybe it's about making sure that they have financial stability. Yeah. And that's what drove them to these places because the ultimate goal, everybody should be eliminating crime because that will eliminate criminals.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) But if
0: you just eliminate criminals, it doesn't eliminate crime. Like it doesn't work both ways. Right. You just get new criminals. See what I'm saying?
1: It's almost like the whole purpose is to just mete out punishment, not to eliminate crime. We don't have time for that.
0: I wonder if people make money off of people going to jail. Because that would explain a lot.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Like if there was like a whole system of like prisons that that were like privately controlled where people would just earn a profit.
0: Like for-profit prisons or something like that. That would be crazy though. That would be crazy. And it sounds a lot like something that's questionable in a democratic society. Yeah,
1: No, Um, it sounds really dystopian to me.
0: Really, really dystopian. Anyway, let's move on mm -hmm. to another question that Judge Jackson's hearings raised for a lot of folks because guess what? We're failing at being a short episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, But we'll we'll wrap this up. Yeah, we will. Why was was everybody talking about judicial philosophy? Better yet, what even is judicial philosophy?
1: Right. So everybody, um, there were a lot of people who who felt like it was really important to ask uh, Judge Jackson what her judicial philosophy was. What what is she going to bring to the table? Judicial philosophy is a super helpful and not at all vague phrase used to describe any underlying set of ideas or beliefs that shapes the way a judge interprets the law. Right? So what is she going to what beliefs is she going to bring to the bench? Uh, sometimes the phrase is aligned with political philosophy terms like liberal or conservative. And then other times it's basically used as a synonym for the modes of constitutional interpretation, which is I think what they were trying to get at during judge Jackson's hearings. Um, So, and that is the ways in which Supreme court justices interpret the constitution and its application to modern law. There are a bunch of them and we're going to rapid fire them at you really quickly
0: Right. <laughs> for real, for real. Uh, one of them, first one, textualism, it focuses on the plain meaning of the document and emphasizes how the specific terms of the Constitution would have been understood by people at the time. Textualists believe there is an objective meaning of the text and don't consider too heavily the intent of the writers in their interpretations.
1: Right. And then you have original meaning or originalism, which focuses on how people at the time of the writing would have understood the meaning of the Constitution. I know it sounds kind of like splitting hairs to differentiate between originalism and textualism in such a short overview, uh, but we promise that once you extrapolate them out into how you actually interpret the Constitution, they are different.
0: Mm. Original Originalism does care about intent, for example, yes. uh, and a lot more things. Um, Judicial precedent is the most commonly cited source of constitutional meaning. Um, It interprets the Constitution through the lens of previous decisions made by SCOTUS justices.
1: Pragmatism seeks to weigh and balance the probable practical consequences of one interpretation of the Constitution against other interpretations. So this may mean considering the future costs and benefits or even considering the extent to which the judiciary branch could play a constructive role in deciding a question of constitutional law.
0: Moral reasoning argues that certain moral concepts or ideals inform the terms and text of the Constitution, like equal protection or due process of law and should also inform judges interpretations of the constitution
1: national identity which i had never heard of before this draws upon the distinct character and values of the american national identity or institutions to elaborate on the constitution's meaning
0: sounds which is that one's wild to me because what it means to be an american changes so like from era to era from yeah. decade to decade you know yeah um Whatever. (laughs) Not a judge. No judge. Uh, Structuralism, which is a weird one. It draws, I I hate structuralism, draws its inferences from the design of the constitution (laughs) and the relationships among the branches of government, the federal and state governments and the government and the people. So like, how is our government actually, quote unquote, physically, how is it actually, Built, How is it structured? And that will inform how I interpret these laws. I mm, I think they're much more applicable.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Lenses. And then finally, we have historical practices, which gleans meaning from the prior decisions of the political branches. So not like precedents of the Supreme Court, but the actual political branches of the government. Uh, This can be especially helpful when considering questions about the separation of powers or federalism or individual rights when the text of the Constitution does not provide clear answers.
0: That's a lot. That's a lot. And we, like, there are many there. I would have to listen to that list several times. So if you are a a person who prefers their lists in visual Uh format, you can find this in our show notes, yes, uh, at, on our website at firesidebreakdowns.com, um, it's relevant. All of these are relevant because very often in confirmation hearings for judges and justices, these interpretive theories get a lot of airtime. It certainly seemed as though many senators were pressing Judge Jackson to align with one of these theories, and at one point she did hint that she might lean towards originalism saying, I believe that the Constitution is fixed in its meaning. I believe that it is appropriate to look at the original intent, original public meaning of the words when one is trying to assess a constitutional provision because, again, that is a limitation on my authority to import my own policy views. But in the same breath, she pointed out, there are times when the meaning unreasonable searches and seizures due process looking at those words are not enough to tell you what they actually mean you look at them in the context of history you look at them at the uh, you look at the structure of the constitution you look at the circumstances that you are dealing with in comparison to what those words meant at the time that they were adopted and you look at precedents that are related to this topic essentially she took a stance that there is no one set way to apply the Constitution to modern law, which is the sane stance to take. Right. You must take all of these things into consideration.
1: All of the things. and, and But there
0: are some, yeah. some justices that only use one. There are some that are strict originalists, some that are strict textualists. Right. And it shows in their rulings, because their rulings seem... Um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for when it's out of time? Uh, I was going to go with out a, of touch, but... Out of touch. Well, either way, they seem out of touch with the period, with the, the world that we live right. in. Right. And I, uh, ugh, I'm losing my vocabulary. <laughs> I'm losing it. It's gone. Yeah. Um,
1: but I feel like like that response, that explanation is really in keeping with her repeated response to questions about her own philosophy um, and her response that she employs a methodology Right. Rather
0: anachronistic.
1: than anachronistic, anachronistic. Good job. There you go. That's a good word, too. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Uh, so right. she. No, you're good. You're good. So Judge Jackson was basically explaining that she employs a methodology rather than being guided by one overall philosophy. Uh, she said step one of her process is ensuring that she is proceeding from a position of neutrality and clearing her mind of any preconceived notion for how the case should come out. Step two is taking in all of the appropriate inputs for the case, the arguments, the written briefs, the hearings, friends of the court arguments, and the actual factual record. And then her final step is interpretation of the law to the facts of the case. She said, this is where I'm observing the constraints on her her judicial authority. In doing so, she said she's trying to figure out what the words mean as they were intended by the people who wrote them while also taking precedence into account. Conservative senators were in no way satisfied by the answers that she gave on this question. Uh, But as a person looking on from the cheap seats, I am glad to hear that she may approach her seat on the bench with the intention of finding the best way to answer the questions before her instead of just letting a set in stone philosophy guide her toward an answer.
0: In, all in all, I was very impressed with with Judge Jackson. Yes, um, with with the with the hearing, like it, she stayed very cool under pressure. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine that I would be that collected yeah. when I had Same. a bunch of people who had literally only talked to me for maybe an hour or two mm-hmm. prior, trying to tell me how I was and how I thought yeah. and how bad I am. Um, sitting (laughs) oddly in judgment of me. Right. Um, And she, like, at her worst, barely raised her voice. Like, I can't even call it that in good
1: conscience.
0: Because, like...
1: mm -mm. She was enthusiastic, I guess, is what you would have to say.
0: She got mildly forceful at one point. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Like, that's, that's it. And it was because somebody kept running over her. Yeah. You know? And... Like, I, I, no, I, I I thought it was phenomenal. Like it also goes to show just how disparate the standards are between a white dude and a black woman that are being considered for the same job. Yeah. Because Brett Kavanaugh had nowhere near that composure.
1: No, he did not. And he also was not um, railroaded over in the same way as that we saw Judge Jackson be railroaded over. Um no.
0: So and not to yeah. say that, like from a human perspective, I'm sure he was very stressed out in that yes, time, and I of totally course. understand that. Oh, but my man, like right, right, if if, if Miss Katanji had done that, which I just wanted to say her first name, yeah, it's amazing. Um, If she had reacted in that same way, she would have. I guarantee would never have been confirmed.
1: No, and um. I mean, I think she did an incredible job of refusing to fulfill the stereotypes that were laid out for her, um, that I think a lot of people expected her to come into this with. And I will not go as far as saying we're deliberately trying to provoke, but there certainly oh, I will. was not a consideration for preventing, right? Um
0: No, I I, after the past four years, I will not extend that same six years, excuse me. I will not extend that same courtesy to the people. I truly believe that they were trying to provoke her.
1: Yeah. I mean, and we saw this with with Vice President Harris during the 2020 election cycle. Um, We saw all the ways that she was provoked to take on that angry black woman stereotype and uh, the memes of her faces and the ways that she responded to people and how that was used against her as though uh, she could not have possibly responded in any other way. And so to watch judge Jackson sit there with such incredible composure, uh, but also at the same time, making faces that very many of us recognize. um.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We had a conversation at one point.
1: Um, (laughs) I know that face. (laughs) I know that face. Uh, um, So, So it was it was just incredibly heartening to see that happen, not because I didn't think that she was capable of it, but because um, it's so incredibly triumphant to not give those people what they were hoping for. Yeah. Right.
0: I will also say that, like, her qualifications are through the roof. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous, especially compared to some of the other people who are on who are on the bench. Yes. It's like. Don't listen. We don't really need to dedicate time on our podcast because there's no nuance to it at all. But like if you believe that she is not qualified, you're wrong. Yeah, it's like a five second Google search. Right. Seriously, one of the most qualified people on that bench when she gets we we
1: actually did not include anything about her qualifications because um, from our perspective, they just are unquestionable. So there is no question yeah. to be answered. We cannot provide any extra context except that she is impeccably qualified for this position. So,
0: truly believe that. There's that. Anyway, uh, there's so much. Honestly, I believe <laughs> I believe we could talk about her for much longer. Yes, uh, there were some incredible moments through from the hearings, um, but we we
1: <laughs> we gotta go. <laughs>
0: You want to hit us with that factoid and then we'll, yeah. we'll do the, the segue and good news because I think this is crazy. It's, <laughs> right, uh, fine.
1: So we have talked to you before, if you have listened for um for very long, about the Pizzagate conspiracy back when we were discussing conspiracy theories and, and how they come to be. Um, And it turns out that Judge Jackson was actually the judge in the Pizzagate case. um, And so she is the one who handed down the ruling in that situation. And I just thought that that was a really cool factoid. Uh, to connect because that was an intense case to follow. Uh, it was one of the, it was the, I think the very first high profile QAnon case that we saw. Um, and so to know that she had a hand in, in that is, it's just, you know, more of her pretty qualifications. Neat. It's pretty
0: neat. Yeah. If you also think it's neat and want to tell us how neat you think it is, it's so neat. <laughs> you can do it on our website, uh, firesidebreakdowns.com. You mm-hmm. can find us there. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna shout. I'm gonna do a shout out because I just think it's super cool. (laughs) Um, We have officially made it, guys. We we have become. uh, I don't know how else to put this, but uh, big deal. Big uh, deal. BFD,
1: I believe, is the correct acronym for this.
0: BFD. So, uh, Mr. Alvarez is uh, using one of our early episodes in a paper and has asked to cite us and yes. i think that's just really cool yes. so um thank you you have made our day yeah no my day is <laughs> so made this it's actually one of my Super favorite episodes
1: cool. too it's the one where we talk about um social media hygiene and and the question about facebook and algorithms and how all of that works and uh so to hear that that's being cited is just I'm chuffed Pretty neat.
0: real real dang chuffed um yeah so if you want to also look at that one uh season one episode 15 two episode season two episode 15 excuse me uh yeah you can check that out that's why we put all of our sources up when we put our show notes up is so you can you can look at what we have written and you can backtrace our sources and decide for yourself Mm -hmm. if you trust what we have written um so that's all on our website firesidebreakdowns.com you can also find a link to our patreon if you think we're just super duper cool like yeah. we do because we do think we're cool um and access to our patreon exclusive stuff uh like a monthly newsletter should have another one coming out here oh, in, oh tomorrow uh
1: <laughs> you're gonna make that who's gonna make that <laughs>
0: Yeah, well it probably won't be tomorrow it'll, it'll be probably tomorrow. be soon though yes. we never said it would be on the first but we you'll get it listen we are working professionals <laughs> we all have full time jobs somewhere else we do our best we do our best um, uh, links to our social medias as well that's enough of this enough talking enough. about our website oh you know what not quite enough one more thing guys I have been asking you listen listen bring it in hey take a knee sit with me here for a second I've been asking you to leave reviews for this show for nigh on two years now. Eight,
1: almost, almost two years.
0: Yeah. And um, listen, I know life gets busy. I know it gets hectic. I get it. But um, like you're not doing it, guys.
1: <laughs> six. You're not. we a grand total of six.
0: We have six, six reviews. And you know what? I love those six reviews. Mm-hmm. You are some of our favorite people on the planet. Yeah. But the rest of you don't listen to us or sorry who do listen to us and don't leave a review you're hurting me yeah you're hurting me and i'm just saying listen i get it and i'm not mad i'm just disappointed <laughs> so please leave us a review
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, tried, I you can couldn't couldn't do hold it. it i couldn't hold it <laughs> i couldn't
0: either <laughs> You can do it right in Spotify. And I know like forty yes. percent of you listen through Spotify. You, you
1: can just, just literally click, click the stars, stars right now. Just click That's the all stars. you have to do. Right there.
0: We'll do take it. if you if okay. you don't have okay.
1: words, if you are speechless at how much you enjoy this podcast, just click the stars. That's, we'll take it. It'll be fun. It'll
0: be great. I love it. Okay. All right, give us some good news. Good news.
1: The day that we are recording this is actually Transvisibility Day, which I did not even know. So this is just very appropriate. Um Our good news this week is that Utah Governor Spencer Cox has vetoed a bill that would have banned transgender girls from competing in girls school sports. Uh, For the most part, I, Robin, try only to highlight party affiliation when I feel like it provides important context, uh, but it feels really important right here to point out that Governor Cox is a Republican governor. Um, Admittedly, this is a very nuanced topic. And you can come to this particular segment with whatever opinion about transgender athletes in sports that you believe the information supports, as long as you are not actively harming anyone else. Um, But it is the way that this went down that we believe makes it incredibly good news. Very rarely do we get to experience legislators and elected officials highlighting the human impact of the laws that they're fighting for or against. And Governor, Governor Cox did that recently in a very real and substantial way.
0: Right. In a letter to the state Senate President and Speaker of the House, Cox outlined very clearly why he vetoed the bill, citing statistics around both trans youth participation in sports and trans youth suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts. He pointed out that of the 75,000 kids participating in high school sports in Utah, four of them are transgender kids, and and one transgender student is participating in girl sports, one. Then he pointed out the 84% of transgender youth who have reported having suicidal thoughts and 56% of trans youth having attempted suicide. The contrast is very clear. (laughs)
1: Yeah, very often these bills are presented in state legislatures as though they are designed to address a significant issue, and they're covered in the media as though they will have sweeping effects. But what Governor Cox brings to light here is that very often these are performative pieces of legislation, grandstanding, again, by those with strong opinions with little consideration for the actual outcomes of their application
0: In his letter, he noted that the students who would be targeted by the bill are four kids who are just trying to find some friends and feel like they are part of something. Four kids trying to get through each day. Cox said in the letter, Rarely has so much fear and anger been directed at so few. I don't understand what they are going through or why they feel the way they do, but I want them to live. And if we had more like Governor Cox, this world would be a much better place. Yeah. Until we talk to you one week from today, filling your lives and souls with light and goodness, <laughs> hopefully, or maybe consternation and eye rolling, depending I'll on take if it. you agree with us or not. Probably both. Uh, take care of each other.